if your student is going to live on campus, they will need twin extra long sheets. The first thing people get wrong. The first thing people get freaked out about. The majority of students who enroll in college don't graduate in four years. Is my kid going to make friends? Are they going to fit in? Are they going to find their people at college? Are they going to fail a class? Between Beth and I, we have worked in higher education for 50 years. We really think that there's some opportunity for some great dialogue. From Pod 617 Productions, it's Twin XL, the podcast for parenting through the college years. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro. I spent the entire weekend watching Netflix documentaries. <laughs> that sounds like an excellent way to spend a weekend. I know one of the ones you were watching was This is a Robbery. It, and and it, that was it. awesome. So it's, it's fun. It has nothing to do with higher education, but it is about the Isabella Stewart Garden Museum uh, heist. And I have two observations. Number one, it's always about my people, the Italians, who get blamed. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it happens. Here's, and you know what? It actually isn't a bad theory because the heist happened on St. Patrick's uh, night. Mm-hmm. And that is a night where Italians are the most bitter. <laughs> Because we don't have a drunken holiday and we're like, screw you. We're going to go rob the museum. Okay. I just, it was an opportunity for me to point out to my husband that several of my great uncles had the same hairstyles as the mobsters who are getting yes. perp walked in like episode two of that documentary, I think. Yes. So yes. that's not a, just a cliche. It's real. No, that's no, how they looked in it, the eighties. And, and I am also going to say this one more time. And I said this back when I was a religious watcher of the Sopranos, what happened with the mafia besides it wasn't a good thing. I mean, let's be really clear, but where the mafia really went off the rails was when they went into, when they got away from well-tailored suits and went into active wear that none of them should have been wearing. Okay. So that, that, that is my big observation. I, I also watched the son of Sam documentary <laughs> was awesome but you see i grew up yet. in new york when the son of sam stuff was going on so like i i feel like this was just a documentary weekend for me and my life but we're here today well first we should <laughs> say that this is twin xl it is and this uh, is not a this is, this is not a true crime world. podcast it's <laughs> not a true crime podcast no. So I am Beth Graham Petro and I am Dr. Laura DeVoe. Yes. Since we last recorded, Laura defended her dissertation. So we all have to call her Dr. DeVoe now. And, but congratulations. It's really awesome. I'm Thank super you. excited for you. So trust me. I'm a doctor. Yes. <laughs> trust her. She's a doctor, but we are here, even though this is not a true crime podcast, we are here to talk about a crime today. It is not an art theft or a bunch of murders. So no. good thing. Nobody dies. No, but we, in addition to other documentaries this weekend, we watched the Operation Varsity Blues documentary on Netflix and thought it would be a really great jumping off point for some conversation about that particular crime and specifically what parents of students about to go to college or about to apply to college or even in college can take from this because there are some lessons. Yes. There's some. It's not a fable. No. But it 100% could be because there are yes. some morals to this story. It's a very special episode. Very special episode. We are watching it so that you <laughs> don't have to if you don't want, although it is a good little little movie. So I think Dave has the trailer queued up. Can you play us the trailer for Operation Varsity Blues? All of our friends are only talking about one thing, and it's this story. An FBI investigation called Operation Varsity Blues. 
USC, UCLA, and Rick Singer. The mastermind behind the entire operation. Is there any risk that this thing blows up in my face? Hey, Rick. Hey there. Is this a good time? Yeah, yeah, it's good for me. Rick, I had a question for you. It's just you and me. Is that kosher? Absolutely. I just wanted you to walk me through the whole thing again and how it works. We help the wealthiest families in the U.S. get their kids into school. So I've done 761, what I would call side doors. The front door means getting in on your own. So I've created this kind of side door in. Because my families want a guarantee. This was created by the people who did the fire. F-Y-I-F-Y-R-E. And, and the producers of Tiger King. And the so producers just, of Just Tiger a murderer's King. row of, of <laughs> classy documentary stuff we have happening here. So just to refresh listeners' memories, because it has been two years and a little bit more than that since this all came out. What this was, was that in March uh, 2019, specifically March 12, 2019, we all learned that the Department of Justice had been investigating a gentleman by the name of Rick Singer, who was a college admissions kind of like coach person that families would pay to help their their children with the college application process. And there's lots of those out there, like doing that as a job is legit. But Mr. Singer was not very legit. He accepted payments from parents and used the money to bribe college officials to get other people to take their kids standardized tests for them. And he also had a foundation set up that the money was basically laundered through. And so you may remember that this came out in March. I remember the day because I read the entire affidavit like some kind of weird nerd because Mm -hmm. it included all these excerpts of phone calls because Singer agreed to you know, when he was caught, he agreed to wiretap all of his conversations with all these parents. So there's amazing stuff in this yes. affidavit. It ends up that this was the largest case of its kind to be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. 53 people were charged in this case with things like with felonies, including conspiracy to commit wire fraud, mail fraud, and money laundering. And many of them have already pled guilty and some are, have done their jail time and are out already because they didn't do a, a ton of time. Some have pled not guilty and are kind of awaiting the outcome of those situations. I mean, it got a lot of attention because uh, in addition to some of the defendants, some of the families involved here being folks who are very wealthy that might not be well known to us, two of the families involved pretty well known actors. So one being Felicity Huffman, who is an Oscar winning actress, used to be on Desperate Housewives, is married to William H. Macy who is in one of my favorite films of all time, Fargo. And uh, the other being Lori Laughlin, who is best known, obviously, as being, being Becky. Aunt Becky on Full House for you 90s kids. And her husband, Massimo Giannulli, who is a, is a fashion designer. So, yeah. So that's kind of what that was. That's what yes. happened. And it's got a Boston connection because the whole thing was like, the, it was the Boston is it called the field office for the FBI? Yes, it's yes. the Boston field office, the FBI. And speaking and bringing it back to where we started this conversation. Yes. If you watch the documentary about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, the same FBI dude. No, he's a former, he's a former sorry, federal prosecutor. Federal pro- prosecutor. Appears in both documentaries yes. for some reason. <laughs> like because, I was watching this one and I was like, wait, that's the guy from the Gardner Museum documentary. Yeah. So 
he's not a federal prosecutor anymore. I didn't even write his name down. I'm terrible. But his gig now is to just be in documentaries that are about Boston connected crimes. Apparently it's probably a bit. I think his name is Robert Fisher. Yes, that was him. Yes. And he's in both. And, and I believe, uh, yeah. and, and I believe for him, it's a much less stressful job probably. to just appear on documentaries. So good on him. It's probably um, much, much easier. <laughs> it's, it's, so the documentary itself, I actually liked how this was done in comparison to maybe some other documentaries where it's got it. It's just interviews and that sort of thing. So in this case, because so many people are either in jail, fighting jail or, dealing with it, there were very few interviews with the people who were caught, Mm -hmm. okay, with the exception of the sailing coach at Stanford, okay? Mm -hmm. But the way that the the documentary was recreated is they used the information that Beth was just talking about. And so they had all of the testimony, all of the details from the wiretaps and from the information from the FBI. And they used that to recreate. So you've got our, you know, a throwback actor of my generation, Matthew Modine playing uh, Rick Singer. And when I first saw him, I'm like, I love Matthew Modine. And I looked at him, I go, oh, yuck. I don't like Matthew Modine in this monkey kind of wig. And he's not all that. <laughs> appealing it was like a bat remember when Clooney had the Caesar do yes it was like the Caesar but like Clooney looked good with the Caesar and like Rick Singer the real guy and Modine do not it's not not. for them no this is not Matthew Modine's (laughs) greatest moment in terms of his physical appearance he actually looked better in full metal jacket I think in full metal jacket is actually his best look which is disturbing but the, he plays a very stoic kind of non he's he's not an appealing person which i think is interesting because as we'll get into rick singer tried to make himself into part of some part of society which he never really actually was kind of an awkward person and matthew modine plays that well you there is one person who i think i felt sorry for again this goes back to the coach this the sailing coach from stanford who was he got to plea out and took responsibility for taking the money but the money went to his went to his program and he actually his name is john Vandermore, Vendemore. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's a sailing coach and, and we'll get to that as well. So there's a lot of fit footage that is of actual students, uh, kind of, you, we see it all on social media. Now people opening their email, uh, from the school to see if they've gotten in or not. There's some happiness, some sadness and that sort of thing. But I think they did a pretty good job. And I think it also, for me, as I watched it, I knew that the system is somewhat broken. This just kind of pulled back the first layer of the onion and you go, wow, it really does stink. And where the conversation can go with this is this idea of a few things in my mind is around privilege, who has Mm -hmm. access to this, this idea of the side door, which I, I think we should start with this idea of what the side door is and what, how real this is. The second thing I think for me that it, it brought up was not just about privilege, but also about where is the, where are the flaws in the system Mm -hmm. that create this? And this goes to these ideas of these niche sports, like sailing crew, 
where you have maybe some access and there's a lot of athletic tie-in that this had. And I think the last thing is, you know, frankly, when you look at this and you say, well, who's really the victim here? I have some issues with what people kind of put out there of what is the victim. There's a lot of people throughout this, especially uh, some of the people who didn't like Rick Singer, who said, you know, if we just threw the money back at the kids who needed it, at the underprivileged kids, that would be a better way to use this money. And I have some issues there. So, so that's where my brain was kind of at during the watching of this. For me personally, I don't know if I, I, if this doesn't get fixed before my child applies to college in five years, four or five years, I'm perfectly fine with her doing whatever she wants. And that includes not going to college at this point. So it's pretty, it's a messy situation, especially from people like myself who've dedicated their entire adult life to higher education, to see this and see how things got really kind of out of control. And the big schools, the big notoriety schools in this actually come out more competitive because people think as one of the one of the folks in the movie said one of the admissions counselors said schools where they were part of this are only going to look that much more exclusive and this is going to do nothing to hurt them yeah so and i think so speaking of the side door thing i think one of the things i found interesting was in the very beginning there were multiple interviews with other both with some former clients of, of singers who were not part of this because he yep. did have some legit clients who like those kids didn't need or their parent or I don't even, well, need is another question, but these were students whose parents did not go through this side door option. They just hired him to do the college coaching bit and they talk about him. And then some of his kind of contemporaries in the field of college coaching talk about him and they all his contemporaries all kind of speak pretty negatively about him like they talk about him being at events and just straight up lying about stuff that he's done and it was a little frustrating to hear that like Mm -hmm. oh so you knew this guy was up to something the whole time right but then again it's like well who would you know who do you tell who's going to buy it all of that but I think the thing that kind of emerged as a theme in the beginning is that these parents who ended up getting into this situation are people who have a lot of wealth and they believe that there is a problem and I would I'm air quoting problem that their kid is not getting enough attention perhaps from them perhaps from Mm -hmm. school whatever Mm -hmm. but they throw money at this problem of my kids not getting what they need and so when he talks and you heard in the trailer he talks about the idea of a side door so he basically frames it for these parents as there's the front door which is your kid applies and they get in on the merits of their test scores their grades their essays all the things all their experience that they have to offer there's the back door which is you are fabulously wealthy And you can give enough to like have a building named after you on campus. You can endow a faculty chair, you know, you can give like a large enough amount of money that the college will admit your student. And then he says, and then there's the side door. And the way the side door worked for those who did not spend an afternoon reading (laughs) hundred page affidavit, like a nut job, which I did, was that there were a couple of ways. There would either be bribery of officials at the specific college. There would sometimes be falsifying and creating of an athletic profile for the student that they did not possess. So one of the famous examples was Lori Laughlin's daughters being photographed at, on like an erg, on a rowing machine to you know, trump up a profile of them as rowers or coxswains actually for the crew team at USC. 
because the athletic departments have, you know, a sort of special cadre of students they can recruit who are going to play for their teams. And then another, the other part was to mess with the testing, with the standardized testing to either encourage families to have their students apply for accommodations for standardized testing. So usually extended time, which is typically given to students with a documented disability and, or have them take the test in a specific location that often was not where they normally would have taken it near their home so that he could hire a specific proctor who would then go in and change answers or retake the test and basically forge their test. And this was, as he says in the movie trailer, a guarantee because he had a number of officials at these colleges in his pocket and was able to say, like, if you pay me this amount of money, I will get your son or daughter into USC or into Yale or any number of other schools. Right. So, but I think the interesting thing for me is thinking about and this is really one of the big takeaway for me, honestly, is the notion of like the parents feeling that they had to do this really kind of regardless of what their student wanted in a lot of cases. Right. And I think two interesting things that come to mind are that someone in the documentary says specifically that Singer lied to Felicity Huffman about her daughter's scores not being good yep. enough to get into yep. whatever school she wanted to. This person said, I actually think she would have had a shot or like she was fine, but he knows that these parents are insecure about like, where is my kid going to that? The idea of like their kid going to a certain school is a reflection upon them. Right. And so he played on those insecurities. And then the second thing is that specifically thinking about Lori Laughlin's younger daughter, who really became the famous, the most famous child of the most famous of the, of the students. One Ms. Olivia Jade, who already was kind of well-known. She had this like gig on her own of being like a youtuber i guess i don't yeah. i'm i'm an old i don't know about this she's stuff, a fashion she, and yeah. she's a fashion and uh beauty influencer she already and, had like a collaboration with sephora right yeah. she had her own and, eye eyeshadow palette yeah. yeah and the whole time i was watching it going she didn't even want to go to college no. that badly and she could have just done that like that's an okay thing to do absolutely could have done and that's I'm glad you brought that up Beth because I think one of the things here that anybody can take from this movie is you may be thinking I'm no Lori Laughlin I'm no you know celebrity I don't own a vineyard in Napa I am not you know whatever I just I'm just me But if we all think about the words we use to describe the application process, what's happening with our child, all that sort of thing, how many times do we hear parents saying, we got into blah, no, 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 you did not get in, (laughs) the child got in, and there was one of the admissions counselors or coaches who was very anti-singer, who said in the the movie, she said, it's not going to matter where you go to school. That's actually a lie. I mean, to me, (laughs) that is actually a gigantic lie. It doesn't matter where you go as long as you apply yourself as to your experience at that school. Okay? Mm -hmm. However... If you get access to a great school and do not apply yourself, but because of who you are, Jared Kushner, and where (laughs) you are, Harvard, okay, you are going to have access whether you get a good grade in there or not. 
Okay. So this idea of it doesn't matter, that's bullshit. Yeah. We're in, but if you have a kid who grew up in, you know, Somerville, Massachusetts, who went to Somerville High, who got a 4.0 in high school, top of the grades, got access to the best schools they could get into and actually applied themselves uh, to the school that they said their parents said, you know what, I know you got into this school, it's your top school, but we didn't get enough financial aid, you're going to have to bust your ass and go somewhere else. If they have a good experience and they apply themselves and all that stuff, great. But if that kid goes and goes to a place that they really don't want to be at, it does matter. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not happy there and they're not applying themselves, it does matter where they go. Well, and I think this, the other thing that is, you know, you talked earlier on about like the idea of higher ed as a system being very broken and this shows it. And that is very true. But there's also this other fact that beyond higher education, there are other fields and other kind of parts of society that are feeding into this whole situation. And it came, it comes out at the end. I believe there's a clip at the end where one of the other kind of college coach people is saying like, and it might be the same one who said, you know, these schools are actually going to benefit from this. They're getting all this notoriety. They're going to seem that much more exclusive. The issue is that everyone thinks wants to, and thinks that they can go to one of 30 schools when there are over 3000 in the country. Right. And then we have, unfortunately, certain systems in society that feed into that by, you know, you won't even be looked at for jobs at certain like brokerage firms or law firms or other industries, unless you can offer a Harvard degree, a Yale degree. Pedigree Um, matters. Pedigree matters, even though it largely should not in a lot of cases. And, you know, or the idea that like, if you are going to the doctor, do you look at where they went to school? Some people do, some don't, but the idea that like, you know, someone who went to Harvard medical school is definitely going to be better at their job than someone who went to, you know, UMass medical school, which may not actually be the case. So it's a whole, it's beyond just higher ed as a system, how, how rough this all gets. I think, yeah, it's just very, it's very sad to see how many of the students I think, you know, weren't even aware that their parents were doing this. And we don't hear from any of the, we see like archive footage of Olivia Jade specifically again, because she had a YouTube channel. So we see a little bit of her from her YouTube channel, but none of the children of these people were interviewed for this documentary, which makes sense. And and Um, that actually, that would be the documentary I'd want to watch next. Oh yeah. Like what do you think about what your parents did? (laughs) Right. I would like to hear from these students and figure out what it is that that they are feeling and what comes out of it. And also getting down to this idea of, does it matter? Olivia Jade would have been just fine. Just going on with her life as an influencer, probably going into fashion. Her father could get her into anything. And at that point, nobody gives a shit if she went to university of South of Southern California or didn't go to school at all. They won't care. She has access. She's okay. The ones who, where the movie really broke my heart was when you saw young people opening their uh, emails and not getting in. And that idea of those are the kids who played by the rules and had no other rules to play by. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't get in a side door. They didn't have access to doctored photos of them being a coxswain or, you know, a water polo player. When they did that scene of the 
taking the photo of the kid in the infinity pool in the backyard. Oh my um, God. When they were like, yeah. oh, we, I told him like, this isn't going to look like he's playing water polo because he's too high up out of the water. And you know what it was? He's standing on the bottom of the pool. And I'm just like, I don't understand right. <laughs> how y- you all spent this much time trying to fake this photo. Like right. it's just, it's bananas. But again, I, th- and I think it, I actually think the footage that's interspersed with all of this kind of the recreation, the reenactments, um, right. which by the way, reenactments always make me think of unsolved mysteries yes. and uh, rescue 911, <laughs> yes. which was the double feature of the late eighties that was designed to terrify children because right. I right. watched that shit and was scared every time. Right. right. Uh, but I definitely thought I was going to get struck by lightning or electrocuted by downed power lines at some point in my life because Rescue 911 taught me that that was very common. <laughs> but the reenactments mixed in with the interviews, but then also mixed in with that footage of these just regular kids on yeah. social media, either being very excited about getting in or not, or being very disappointed that they didn't. Right. It was, it really kind of hit me that I just, I guess I don't remember. And it's been a long time since I was applying to college and like, it did matter at the time. I remember being, you know, like excited about it and wanting to get in somewhere that was perceived as good. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But maybe because I was never going to be an Ivy league person. Right. I didn't feel the way, I I don't know. I mean, maybe I would have felt differently if I thought that like Harvard or Yale was on my radar. Right. But it was, It feels as though there is a segment of the population for sure that like, it's not even about their desires or where they might be happiest. It's about my family wants this for me or everyone in my school expects this of me, or I'm in competition with my peers at insert name of either expensive private school or very top tier public school here. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going to think less of me if I don't get in to one of these like eight schools that are deemed the ones that you would go to and the ones that are worth anything. And it's, it just made me sad. Well, I think the horse (laughs) is out of the barn in some ways, as far as the whole industry is concerned. Okay. U.S. News and World Report was probably the worst thing that ever happened was the ranking system. Okay. So that starts it. Then the spirit behind, you know, signing day, we just passed signing day. Okay. And that's like decision day, that May 1st deadline where people say, this is my decision. This is where I'm going. Or they say, I'm taking my talents to. Correct. Sorry. I love, I love LeBron, but I also love to mock the line. I'm taking my talents to, cause I just found that hilarious at the time. Anyway, <laughs> my talents to. like, but it's, I understand the spirit behind signing day and I'm not combating that spirit, especially for places where students have worked so hard and have had so many things thrown against them or the, you know, there it, I love celebrating great things. And you go into these schools and you see at the high school, all the penance from all the schools that people are going to and all that kind of thing. I get it. But when you are racking up the place in comparison to the other school, I really wish that there was more behind the authenticity of feel of 
students who decide to go into the military, students who decide that they want to do an apprenticeship and go on to a trade. I wish that there was just as much enthusiasm around that, around the joy and the finding of something that actually connects with the student. But that's not where we are as a society. And I know I sound like, you know, Pollyanna-ish about this, but that's part of the problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that we don't actually take that into account. I think Dave's queued up one of the clips where you actually hear the students find out they're not getting in. And I think that was at like the 37 minute, the reject, the rejection piece. I'm so scared. You just check it. No matter what happens, you're going to be fine. You have to face it. And you have to face it. Yeah. You're going to be fine. I promise. I'm not deferred. You got deferred? <laughs> there's an update in your application portal and then you click on it and then there's that letter that pops up. We appreciate your passion for our school. We are sorry to inform you. We are unable to offer you admission stamper. <laughs> I am not getting into San Diego or UCLA. Just makes me feel like shit. <laughs> I literally started bawling. Like it just angered me. There were a lot of tears. There were a lot of punching the wall. There were a lot of cursing. And I like did not leave my room. I was like crying the entire weekend. I got rejected. <laughs> I have seen a change and I have seen a progression. And I do think that students are more obsessed with college. I would say most kids are getting plagued by this anxiety and you could feel it. They're freaking out when you meet with them and they're like, what if this happens? And what about that? And, you know, do you think they're going to not like me because I wrote this one word? And it's like they're losing their minds because of it. Basically, I got rejected by almost all of the colleges I applied to. It's just awful because it's basically you think something's wrong with yourself. In the future, when we have children and they're applying to colleges, where do you think they're going to be going? Like, no one's going to be getting into colleges at that point. It's crazy. Like, okay. even C's okay. acceptance rate just that, went down. Like, three that's like, where it gets oh. like, okay, now, we're, is... now we've gone down the rabbit hole. And, and that's, that's what's not... so... And that's such a good example. That exemplifies that what we're talking about here is that last young lady who was like, well, no one's going to get into any colleges anymore. And it's right. like, no, honey. There's like thousands more. Mm -hmm. You just are so conditioned to think that yes. there's these like 30 that are the ones that are worth going to. Right. And it just, I, I can say this, right. It's easy for me to say this. I am sitting here from a place of, I am done with college. I have gone. I have graduated. Right. My life is what it is. My kid is not near college age yet. So I'm not ready to be worried about it as a parent, but like, I watched that clip and it just, it literally makes me want to cry. And I also wish I could sit with these kids and be like, it's going to be fine. Like right. when you get 10, 20 years from now, some of what's happening now is going to matter. Absolutely. But like a lot of this isn't going to matter as much as you think it does. You can, it's, they're getting kind of shoved into this mindset of like, there is one acceptable path. Yeah. And once I am on that acceptable path, everything will flow from there. And if I don't get on that path, then everything will automatically be bad. And they don't have the, they don't have the, the wherewithal at that point. And did any of us, I mean, it's a wild decision for a kid that age to be making and they don't have the wherewithal to realize like, wait, there's sort of an, not an infinite number of paths, but like, there's a lot, there's a lot of choices. There's a lot of ways that things can go. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be doomed 
because you went to, you know, UCLA instead of Stanford. Right. right. Um, there's actually, <laughs> this is dating myself, but there is an excellent episode in the original Saved by the Bell where Jesse, I mean, there's poor Jesse as a character. Like the famous one is that she gets addicted to caffeine pills because she's worried about not getting yeah. into Stanford because she's going to like fail one geometry <laughs> test in sophomore year, which is bananas. Mm-hmm. But there's also an episode that revolves around the SATs. And Zach Morris, who is Mark Paul Gosselaar's character, who is a goof and, you know, doesn't do anything in school ever, outscores her by like several hundred points and is suddenly being recruited by Stansbury, which is the fake Stanford on uh, Saved by the Bell. And they're ignoring Jesse and she's panicking and just completely freaking out. And it's, I mean, it's silly. It's a show for children. So it is what it is. It's very funny. But like, The standardized test thing is another thing that comes up a lot in this scheme, right? There was this paying off of people that were proctoring standardized tests. There was falsifying of test scores. There was um, falsely getting accommodations for more time. And I just wanted to, this is not exactly data, but you know, I love the data. Standardized testing, for those who don't know, favors rich white kids. Yes. Rich white kids do better on standardized tests. Why? Because mostly we have a huge wealth gap in our country that is big, big, big between white folks and, and folks who are people of color, black, indigenous, any other. They, that means people with more money can pay for the test multiple times because there's yep. also proof that if you take the SAT or the ACT twice or more times, your score usually goes up so they can afford test fees to take it over and over. If you're a wealthy student, you're probably going to a high school that has more AP classes You probably have more access to tutors. You probably have taken test prep. You've gone to Kaplan or Princeton Review or whatever. And then you are also more likely if you're from a higher income family to seek out accommodations. Correct. And that doesn't always mean you're doing so falsely as people were encouraged to do in this situation. It just means that you may, as a person with more wealth, have more access to people in your life that are even going to look at you and go, you might need to be assessed for ADD or for dyslexia or something like that. And then subsequently have more access to the testing needed to prove that you have that problem. And then the accommodation that you need, you know, extra tutoring, even in college, usually colleges have a disability or accessibility office, but certain services are not going to be covered by the college. There's kids who need like executive functioning coaches and the college isn't going to pay for that. No. And, and, that's and one of the things that was interesting yeah. to me as far as how that part was framed in the movie is if I had a student in my life who was someone who legit needed accommodations, the way that they were framed was one of two types is that students who got accommodations were rich kids who knew how to play the system, who didn't really need it, mm. or if you have accommodations and you've been given accommodations, act stupid, mm. act slow, act dumb. And so the way it's framed, is, especially as how it was kind of set up for these families, at least in, in the tapes, was that, you know, this is how we're going to game the system because, you know, kids to kids who get accommodations get extra time. They get extra things, which Mm -hmm. don't you think your kid needs that? Yeah. Don't you think we also get to do that? And that really got my back up in an arch because I think that also creates this stigma with, with how these families operate on a regular basis. And that, you know what? I have access, I have money, I have ways to make this happen. 
Something I, I want to make sure we key in on is this idea of athletics and these teams. And I think there's a lot of people who think, oh, all division one teams have scholarship money and all the stuff. That is not the case. There are, if you are division one does not mean you are awarding scholarships. It also does not mean that you have something fancy. Even if you are the number one water polo team in the country, sometimes these teams, especially the coaches are put up under a lot of pressure to fundraise and make sure that they keep the team running. Okay. I've worked in athletic administration. I saw what happened when coaches, and here's what happened over time, many institutions created positions like they had at USC that were highlighted in the movie where there is an athletic department official, typically an assistant AD or an associate AD who is the liaison to the admissions office. That way you don't have what is seen as a problem of a coach having that relationship with the admission office. They wanted to get the coaches out of the admissions office and have it just on the shoulders of one trustworthy administrator. Okay. And so that's what you see in this movie is what happens when that trustworthy administrator is not that trustworthy. (laughs) Okay. And so that's what, what you saw, but those niche sports, where you can fly under the radar. If you're the number one recruited uh, women's or men's basketball player in the country, people are going to know about you. If -hmm. you are a well-positioned, high-profile sport person, people are going to, to, oh, I heard about that person. Oh, I could find that out. You can be the top coxswain in the country and nobody will necessarily know what the hell you are doing. Okay. And if you are somebody who's like, well, this person's a great coxswain, they're probably not going to start their freshman year, but they'll be second or third, but we need them for bench strength down the road. All right, fine. We're going to get them in. And there's no money. They're not asking for any financial aid. And that is a big part of this is that while they did not bring it up in the movie, the fact that this was not a scholarship discussion that changes the tone of the conversation with the admissions people so that you know that they're like, okay, well, all right, we're going to give them this. We're going to give them a little more leeway than someone who might be getting cash. I mean, one of the parents in this involved in this whole scheme is literally the heir to the hot pockets fortune. Okay. And I was going to eat a hot pocket while we were (laughs) taping this today, but I was afraid that the roof of my mouth might get burned and And that might be the end of it. You know that my immediate thought when they mentioned Hot Pockets Lady was in Mean Girls when Gretchen is like, my father, the inventor of toaster strudel would not be happy to hear about this. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't understand why Hot Pockets Lady wasn't just using her Hot Pockets money to like endow a chair at whatever school. That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other question. I want to talk to Hot Pockets Lady. Let's see if we can get her. But the way, but this also goes to that point. And I think if I was going to, to make sure that people understand something as far as this is concerned, is that the big takeaways for me are we need to be having conversations with our children about what they want rather than what we need them to do. Okay. And the, the kids ultimately need to feel like they have some skin in the game. And we've seen students not do well because they have no skin in the game. 
And, you know, you don't have to be privileged to have no skin in the game. You don't have to have, have no privilege to have no skin in the game. You have to be a person. Okay. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. I think the other thing about this that I think is quite indicative of my frustration is going back to your comment earlier, Beth, is that there are 3000 colleges in America and we are acting like there's 20. Well, and I think a place to put the cap on this is that at a certain point, I think early on in the show, one of the other like college coaching people that is interviewed talks about the origin of the word prestige. Yeah. And that as a word, it, he says it comes from the French, which it most recently does. Thank you, Google, but it's actually Latin in origin. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. All the other languages it comes from, its meaning is basically trickery. Like it's an illusion. It's like, that's why there was that one. Is that a Hugh Jackman movie? The prestige that's about him being a magician. I think I don't so. know. I didn't see it. I never watch movies. Um, but I've been waiting for a Doug Henning auto pick, but <laughs> that's fine. But that's the thing is, you know, he talks about like people are obsessed with prestige and the word literally means a lie. It literally yeah. means an illusion. And it's just like, I wish there were a way that we could, as a society stand up and be like, we're done with this prestige bullshit. It's not that those schools are not great. They are right. Mm -hmm. But like, what if you could take away their power to, right. You know, like have this hold on people and point out, like you could go to any number of the other 3000 schools in this country and get a great education and have a great time there and have a wonderful experience. But I do think for the parents please do be talking to your student about what they want and what they need and what they want to have as an experience. And like, it's not about you. It's not about it's, you. It's and, not. Let, and let them know that like they have value beyond whether or not they get into like Cornell or whatever. Like it just, it because made what, me... what is it that you want your kid to take away yeah. from this? That you are disappointed in them because of the name on the sticker on your car? Or would you rather say my kid has made the decision to go to X college or Y university and they are happy? My kid is taking their talents to. Yes. <laughs> my child of... is taking their talents yeah. to. They're taking their talents to UMass Amherst, of which I am an alum. And you know what? They're going to have a great time. They're going to get a great education and they're going to emerge with a lot of skills, a network of people. And lots of stories, just like right. anyone in any other school. And that's fine and good. And if there's nothing that I can say louder or more clearly is this, you have the power within yourself to say, what's the priority? The priority is this, is if you're going to say to your kid, the priority is that I have a really fancy thing on the back of my car, then say it, have the balls to say it. <laughs> All right. But mostly the takeaway is don't do felonies yeah. to get your kid into school because you'll be you'll literally be a felon. Like this is the thing, the end of this thing. So the Stanford sailing coach we mentioned, he gets a deal, a pretty a, a decent deal because he did not keep the money. Yeah. Rick Singer gave him money and he gave it to his program and said he had gotten it as a donation. So he was the only defendant that the judge but was he like, is well, now a felon but he is now because he pled to a, a one charge he is now a felon for the rest of his life because he got caught up in this and like these parents are felons, felons. like don't be a felon this is not worth that 
Yeah. If we, this is the thing, if we can tell you anything, please don't do not do felon. felonies. Don't be a felon and trust your kid. There, yeah, here's your takeaway. Your, Go your get take a hot pocket time. and a glass of wine. All right. And you don't need to go in and you can probably get some cheap Olivia, whatever freaking name is. A discount on the Olivia Jade makeup palette. The Olivia Jade makeup palette at Sephora, which and I know some, they're just giving away at this point. And a discount on the Massimo stuff at Target. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> Dress in your Massimo sweater, put on your eyeliner, do all you got to do. But remember, look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I proud of who I am? Okay. <laughs> and that's it. And don't be a felon. And that's all we got this time. <laughs> so. Beth, pardon my interruption. Yes. You, were, you were right. The Prestige. From 2006, a psychological thriller directed by Christopher Nolan. Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman play rival magicians. Oh I've God, never heard it. I've never heard of this movie. It actually if for- it's a Nolan movie, it's probably wicked messed up. I yeah. bet. It, it is. It's actually a good movie. It's, I'm it, sure it, it is. Christian Bale is good in it. Okay. I mean, I'm a, so there you go. There we go. And maybe watch One more Prestige, thing to watch everyone, because I bet it's a good movie. <laughs> and watch Prestige. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us on this little <laughs> viewing party. Well, Ripped it's not really down memory lane. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us talk about what we think of this whole situation. And we are, yeah, it's a pretty big reckoning. It'll be interesting to see where this goes in the next few years and whether or not people start to chill out about college, but it's been two years already and it's not looking good yet. So no. we still have time to turn it around parents. So do your best. Twin XL is a production of Pod 617. We are grateful, as always, to Dave Yaz for sitting here listening to us yammer uh, <laughs> and getting the clips ready and all of it. We would love to hear from you at twinxlpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And we also have a Patreon. You can find us at Twin XL Podcast at Patreon if you would like to support the show. So please do get in touch. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tell a friend to listen to our show so they too can learn how not to be a felon. Yes. <laughs> it's a good life lesson. If you become a patron, do you get Twin XL swag? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yes. We have we've mugs. Got, and We've got we, mugs. And, and if All you right. live close enough and you're vaccinated, I'll come kiss you on the mouth. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> Here you go.